Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello and welcome to episode 97 of the UK True Crime Weekly Podcast. I'm Adam. Today's episode comes from Battersea, South London, and it's one of the strangest stories I've covered on your favourite true crime podcast. Talking of favourite podcasts, I'm still loving Disgraceland and already looking forward to season three of the True Crime Enthusiast podcast. What a show that is. Two others I'm enjoying are the Still Excellent They Walk Among Us and the new Seeing Red podcast. Why not tell me what you are listening to on Facebook's most popular group, the UK True Crime site, which now has approximately 33 million members or something like that. I forget the exact figures. Okay, so let's set some context for today's story in October 2013. In the UK, it was another classic up there of Bohemian Rhapsody and the other rock greats. It was Miley Cyrus with Wrecking Ball. Oh dear. Eminem was number two with Berserk, and in the US, Miley had been knocked off the top spot by Lord with Royals. In Australia, Katy Perry with the dreadful video for Raw was the best-selling single of the year, with some other garbage at number two. Okay, Adam, come on, stay classy here. Remember, you still like Brother Beyond before you start mocking. Just keep repeating to yourself, Mighty League United, top of the league. Let's move to the news headlines of the time. 49 people were killed after Lao Airlines Flight 301 crashed into the Mekong River in Laos. A number of people were killed in a series of appalling incidents in Syria. And Boston Red Sox defeated St. Louis Cardinals to win 4-2 in the World Series. UK Justice Minister Jeremy Wright confirmed that former Liberian President Charles Taylor would serve his jail sentence for war crimes in the UK. And around 100 homes were damaged when a tornado hit Hailing Island in Hampshire. And this was the month when the National Crime Agency was launched, designed to tackle some of the UK's most serious crimes. And what an unparalleled success that has been. So on to today's story from London. The Daily Mail newspaper reported from Trendy Battersea in southwest London that neighbours complained that young people often gathered at the ground floor flats for noisy late night parties. Neighbours continued that they were shocked to discover that a murder had taken place and feared the victim may have lain undiscovered for some time. Benedict Austin, 75, said, I feel so scared and frightened. I've had trouble sleeping since Thursday. I haven't been myself. I feel like I've been going potty. Seeing all that going on, seeing the body being fetched out, it was like midsummer murders. This is such a nice street, lots of lovely people who work and have high paid jobs or work in TV. I've lived here for 25 years and I've never seen anything like this. They have come and spoilt it now. You don't know what people are like once they have locked the doors. As listeners to this podcast know, nothing bad ever happens actually where anybody actually lives. It's always somewhere else, isn't it? 
So no doubt like me, you share Benedict's pain. And let's hope that five years on, he is now sleeping well. Where's Nick Ross and Crime Watch for that reassurance when you need them, huh? It was revealed that the man found dead was 21-year-old Henry Stangrim. The Daily Mail report continued that he'd moved into the property after his older sister, Michelle, moved out earlier in the year. His body was discovered by police officers who broke down the front door shortly before 9pm on Thursday, October 13th, 2013. Neighbours said that the victim's sister pleaded for help to get inside the flat before the body was discovered by police. One man said, My housemate had her friend visiting from Australia for two weeks. She heard the doorbell ringing, but she ignored it because it wasn't her place. But after a while she went downstairs and there was this hysterical girl who begged her to help her get into the flat saying, My brother's in there, he needs help. They called the police who came and said there was no sign of life in the flat to keep her back and then the rest of the emergency services showed up. The man added that detectives believed Henry Stangrum may have been dead for more than a day before he was found. The Met Police very quickly revealed that Henry's 30-year-old flatmate, Andrew Morris, had been charged with his murder. Murder by a flatmate isn't a usual occurrence, and detectives immediately looked at Henry's life and his last known movements. Henry Stangrum was a talented chef, who had worked at the Criterion restaurant in Piccadilly Circus, central London. He'd worked a double shift ending at 11.30pm on the day of his death, going for a drink with colleagues before getting the final tube home, which was the last time he was seen alive. Henry had been in the news for the wrong reasons just the year before, when he narrowly escaped jail after killing a 19-year-old man in an horrific hit-and-run accident on a rural road near the family home in Hampshire, in September 2011. He drove three miles in a severely damaged car, claiming he was not aware he'd hit and killed 19-year-old Jack Bland, who'd been walking home from a wedding reception. Jack was found severely injured by the roadside by a taxi driver, but he died hours later in hospital. Henry, who already had three penalty points for speeding, was criticised for driving home after his car was so badly damaged. He claimed he thought he'd hit a deer and refused to answer questions at an inquest as he did not want to further incriminate himself. Jack Bland was a popular man in the local community, a keen cricketer, and there was understandably anger when Henry was sentenced to a suspended eight-month prison term after admitting dangerous driving. A judge said that his actions beggared belief It was a really tough time for Henry and his family, who were very close and supportive, as they tried to come to terms with what had happened and tried to move on. Henry did this by throwing himself fully into his work. Detectives investigating the murder discovered that Henry had moved into the flat where he lost his life with his sister Michelle and her boyfriend Andrew Morris. The couple had moved into the flat in Lavender Sweet Battersea in September 2012, and brother Henry moved in with them three months later. Six weeks before Henry's murder, Michelle had moved out of the flat due to the breakdown of her relationship with Andrew Morris. But why would Andrew Morris kill his ex-girlfriend's brother? Detectives started to look in-depth at Andrew Morris. The first thing they discovered was that he was a brilliant mathematician, 
He had a maths degree from Cambridge and his incredible ability with figures allowed him to complete his actuarial exams in three years instead of the normal six. Some people may have a stereotype in mind for somebody of these skills, but if so, Andrew Morris certainly didn't fit into this. He was a good-looking guy who loved designer watches and powerful motorbikes, and he spent much of his salary on status symbols as he climbed up the ladder of risk management. And his career seemed to be on an upward trajectory. After graduation, he was employed by a company called LPC and was involved, amongst other work, in a £200 million deal with Goldman Sachs. And he was earning a base salary of over 120 k a year. But he was arrogant with a huge ego. Due to his intellect, he felt superior to everyone he met. And he could never understand if, for example, a woman rejected him or if he didn't receive effusive praise for any work he completed. He had had a number of relationships with women, but when he didn't get his way, he struggled to cope. One former girlfriend told how he would ruin her belongings whenever they had an argument. On one occasion, he smashed up her car. He wrecked an oil painting, and he even snatched a treasured ring from her finger to throw into a river. Another claimed that he'd punched her in the stomach when he was unable to get his own way. Morris became a father when he got another girlfriend, Laura Teague, pregnant. But this relationship had only started after he told his girlfriend of the time that he was unable to be with her any longer as he was suffering from leukaemia. And of course he wasn't. But Morris quickly abandoned her, his young son and their life in Cambridgeshire as he began his relationship with Michelle Stangram, who he met when he was working for a company called Pensions First. At first, for the two of them, life was great. As a young couple with a healthy income living in Battersea, they had a wonderful social life, and the relationship got serious very quickly. Both drank a lot of alcohol, took cocaine, and experimented with other party drugs. Nothing unusual there, of course, although the Daily Mail no doubt wouldn't approve. But Morris began to struggle with his mental health and he suffered major panic attacks at work where he would hide in the toilet. He then began researching ways to kill himself and was off sick for five months. In fact, he was still absent from work when he was charged with the murder of Henry. Morris wasn't in a good place at all and he didn't want to leave the house and was scared to open the front door. He spent his time drinking wine, watching daytime TV and snorting cocaine whilst his money slowly ran out. Towards the end, he couldn't afford to pay bills, and his credit was so bad he was even turned down for a payday loan. He attempted suicide several times, and once slashed his wrists and sat in the bath fully clothed whilst his brother and his best friend were in the flat. This turn of events naturally changed the relationship with Michelle, and it was becoming increasingly one-sided, as her interest in him waned. But Morris, well, he was head over heels in love with her, to the extent that he even filmed her dressing in the morning. The relationship continued to deteriorate, and Morris became increasingly jealous of Michelle. This showed itself in his behaviour, as he destroyed a pair of Tiffany's sunglasses he bought her, because he perceived that she had abandoned him at a wedding. He wanted to be the centre of her attention all the time. He later ripped a handbag he'd given her in half, 
smashed an antique lamp that belonged to her grandma and broke her crutches when she had a foot injury leaving her housebound. But on the 28th of August, Morris went a step too far when he behaved violently to Michelle, throwing her across the room and pinning her down with his hands over her nose and mouth. This was six weeks before Henry was murdered and Michelle moved out of the flat immediately, telling Morris that she would not see him again unless he returned to work and sorted out his issues. She also told him to destroy a sex tape they'd made on his mobile phone because a friend of hers had previously been involved in a film scandal involving James Haskell, the ex-England rugby international, where a couple was secretly filmed. The incident made embarrassing headlines at the time and Haskell was suspended from his school. And Michelle was terrified that Morris, in his current state of mind, would show these highly personal videos to other people. I think she was probably right to be worried, don't you? Once Michelle left, Morris once again struggled to cope with rejection. How dare she leave him? He started to look for any reasons outside his own behaviour, which were to blame for his girlfriend leaving him, and his thoughts turned to her brother Henry. It was Henry's fault that the relationship had finished, and if he'd wanted to, he could persuade his sister to return to Morris. They were very close, but he had chosen not to. How could Henry act like this towards Morris? And these feelings began to fester. So when Henry returned to the flat they shared that October night in 2013, Morris waited until he was asleep before he made his move. He crept into Henry's room with a spear gun, which he fired into Henry's head before in a frenzy stabbing him in the heart and the lungs until the young chef stopped breathing. There was blood everywhere. It was a truly gruesome scene. He also repeatedly stabbed a fluffy duck he had bought for Michelle, which she always slept with. Morris did not call the police, and he appeared to have tried to take his own life in his bath by slashing his wrists and firing the harpoon into his own neck using his toe. When police found him 18 hours later, his arms were outstretched as he lay in a crucifixion position in the bath. But detectives, they thought this was all an act, and they did not for a moment think he intended to kill himself, as he knew he would be found by an estate agent, who was due to call it the flat. On Morris's phone and laptop computer, they found many of the films he'd made of his ex-girlfriend. Her pet hamster was missing from its cage. They couldn't work out why, but the mystery was explained when detectives saw footage of Morris squeezing the dying animal in his fist until the animal's eyes bulged from its sockets. Andrew Morris was charged with murder and faced a jury at the Old Bailey. At his trial... Morris said he'd no recollection of the murder. He admitted killing Henry Stangrim, but claimed he was mentally ill at the time after suffering from depression and living in a blur of alcohol and drugs. He said the last thing he remembered was seeing his former girlfriend three days earlier. But the court heard that detectives were certain that the murder was premeditated. After all, an internet search history of his computer showed he searched for murder and mental illness sentencing, and sentencing for murder in the UK. He also searched for spear gun death accident and how to knock someone out. 
Maybe after all, Morris wasn't quite as clever as he thought. But Morris had an answer. He said that the searches were about Prison Break, the TV show featuring a mentally ill convict that he'd been following with Henry Stangroom. It was a discussion about what this character could get away with. It was two friends chatting about a hypothetical situation, he told the court. Morris also told jurors that he thought very highly of Henry and had actually bought him gifts, including a pasta maker, a sushi knife and a watch. He was kind and had a remarkable talent for cooking, Morris added. Despite being a number of years younger than me, with a lot of common ground, he was a friendly guy. The jury was told about Morris's previous relationships, including his reaction on discovering that his ex, Ruth Owen, had been having a relationship with her boss. Morris admitted he became physically abusive towards her following the discovery by spitting in her face, pushing her in the stomach and throwing warm water over her, allowing her to believe it was his urine. Nice. There was also a really interesting insight into Morris's childhood, especially around the relationship with his dad, from which I'll allow you to draw your own conclusions. He told how he had a good relationship with his dad, an aerospace engineer, until he turned 13 and his dad was made redundant. The family moved from Bournemouth to Newmarket into a council house, where he said his father would beat him. Morris said, Probably the worst one was being thrown against a radiator. The corner of it hit the side of my head, and the side of the head swelled up quite badly. It happened the night before my first day at the new school. The court heard how Morris's dad had guided and influenced him through his education and career path, until a very odd incident when he was 21 and studying for his masters at Cambridge when he and his mum discovered a box with thousands of graphic drawings inside. He said, The pictures were all relatively similar, depicting a sexual act on a woman, and quite often the man would have an iron bar in his hand. My mother explained to me that she'd seen them before, when we were all much, much younger, and told my father not to do it anymore. But she wanted to have something done about discovering the pictures, and explained to me that she thought she was the subject of the pictures, and thought my dad was going to hurt her, and therefore wanted to get him sectioned. Morris and his mum saw the doctor, then the police, with the images, and then that night the court heard. Morris's brother refused him entry back into the home, for being almost a traitor towards his father, and he left. Morris visited his father and said, I went to my dad and asked him again for an explanation. And he told me there was no explanation, but he would tell me when I was a bit older. Morris then had no further face-to-face contact with his dad over the next eight years, until his dad came to visit him in prison on remand, approaching Christmas in 2013. And it was then he gave him the following explanation. Morris said, When my dad was six years old, he witnessed his mum being raped by a man with some sort of weapon. And he started drawing pictures of it at primary school. He was reprimanded for that by his headmistress, I think around the time when Caning was still in school, so I believe she became the subject of the drawings and something he continued to do throughout his life. Going back to the events surrounding Henry's murder, under further questioning, Morris was able to provide an explanation for the events of the night, claiming he acted in self-defence. 
Morris then claimed that while he tried to get help, Henry again started stabbing at him with a knife. He said, As he came towards me, I put my hand up. Still the knife came towards me, and I reached down by my side at this point, and I picked up the brown-handled knife. As he came towards me, I put the knife up in front of me and I pushed it towards him. I wanted him to stop stabbing at me. He would have stabbed me somewhere around the head or the neck. The knife he was holding was cut in my hand and was up by my face and was quite close to me. The knife that I was holding was in his chest. I took his weight in my left hand, pushed him off me, back onto the bed and I went forwards with him and dropped the knife. He told the court that at this stage he realised Henry was dead and this is when he decided to take his own life by slitting his wrists in the bath where he spent the next couple of hours. However, when this did not work, Morris fetched a spear gun from Henry's room, placed it under his chin, and triggered it into his head using his toe. What an explanation from Morris. His mental health claims were rejected by top psychiatrist Dr Philip Joseph, who has examined the minds of some of the country's most notorious killers. He said, When he feels rejected or jealous or his emotional needs are not met, he can respond with petulant, immature or aggressive behaviour. He said that Morris was sane, but displayed arrogance and narcissism and believes himself to be superior to others. The jury, of course, based on the evidence in front of them, quickly rejected Morris's version of events and found him guilty of murder. Morris sighed heavily in the dock of the Old Bailey after Judge Wendy Joseph QC sentenced him to life imprisonment with a minimum of 23 years before parole. The judge told him this was a deliberate planned killing, planned well in advance, amounting almost to an execution on a man who at the time of the initial attack must have been asleep in his own bed. The only motive raised is that you set out to kill Henry Stangram because he was the most dearly beloved brother of Michelle who had left you and because he either would not assist you in getting her back or was positively obstructing that possibility. I am quite satisfied that you have studied over and over again the papers in this case, as you studied for your exams, and that you have prepared a defence that sought to account for every facet of the Crown's case. What I have seen over the weeks of the trial was sustained attempts to manipulate the situation, most clearly by turning in the witness box and directly addressing Henry's parents and sister as they sat in court. Nothing I do by way of sentence can make up in any way for the loss of their child. Henry's mum and dad and sister, who had been in court for every day of the trial, sat silently as the sentence was passed. Outside court, Detective Chief Inspector Diane Tudway said, Andrew Morris killed Henry Stangram in a brutal attack because he felt rejected and because he could not come to terms with that. He has not taken responsibility for his actions and he has shown no genuine remorse. He took Henry away from a loving and close family who have continued to show amazing strength and dignity. I am pleased the jury has convicted him today and whilst it will not alleviate the grief of Henry's family and friends, I hope that Morris's conviction goes some small way towards providing them some comfort. Henry's family said in a statement, There is no justice for our son and brother. Nothing will bring him back. The evidence has proved this was a premeditated murder whilst asleep, 
by a coward hiding behind diminished responsibility. We will never be able to come to terms with the loss of Henry. We will never be able to move on. It's impossible not to think of the terror he must have felt being woken with a spear gun wound to the head and then faced with a maniac with a knife. He'd have been in no position to defend himself. No sentence would be enough. Speaking later from the family home in Hampshire, Henry's dad, Jerry, told how his family had welcomed Morris into their lives and had even taken him on holiday just three months before he murdered their son. He said, For Henry to be murdered in his own room by someone he trusted and looked up to like an older brother is just devastating. We accepted this man into our home and he slept under our roof many times. It is a heavy burden that I bear. Whilst I was worried about the defendant's welfare, he was planning to take my son's life. If only we knew what a man he was. We had so many plans. Michelle and Henry were just starting to look for a house together. When Henry was more experienced, we all dreamed we would buy a restaurant in the sun where Henry would be chef and Michelle would work the front of house. We have nothing to look forward to without Henry. There are no words to describe the utter heartbreak and despair I feel in what has happened. I could not have wished for a more perfect son. He brought more joy and happiness than you can possibly imagine. So what do you make of what we've heard today? Just a devastating story, isn't it? It's hard to understand the sheer terror that Henry must have felt when he woke and slowly realised just what was happening to him. Can you even begin to comprehend that? And for his sister Michelle, although she is of course completely blameless, she will always feel guilt as if it was somehow her fault. And once more on this podcast, a young man, this time aged just 21, with everything to live for, had his life cruelly taken away from him. For what? Well, for so little. Just another pointless murder. Let's hope that as Morris lies in his cell right now, he has lost some of his ego and arrogance as he ponders the fact that he is unlikely to ever be released. All that promise wasted in that one act. I wonder if he now regrets his actions. However he feels, he now has to face the reality that it's highly unlikely to ever be free. Thank you for listening to this episode of the UK True Crime Weekly Podcast. To discuss this story or any other aspect of UK True Crime, please join us at the UK True Crime Facebook group. There is a special welcome bonus of absolutely nothing for anyone joining this month, so get in quick, as this is the sort of offer that can't last. Talking of offers, why not support the show on Patreon? where you'll be part of a special club with access to 19 bonus episodes and other exclusive content, including the opportunity to shape episode 100. You will also feel warm and content every night as you drop off to sleep, knowing that you are helping the 472nd most popular true crime podcast continue to be produced weekly. Please just head to patreon.com slash UKTrueCrime. Go on, you know you want to do this. Well, sadly, like Big Brother and Root Canal Treatment, everything must come to an end eventually. And unfortunately, that is it for me this week. So until we speak again next week, 
It's cheerio from me, and remember, stay classy. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.